Hey, Rose, do you ever call up Royally Obsessed on Alexa? It's one of the easiest ways to listen to the pod. You can hear our latest episode every week there, thanks to Amazon Music, which has a full catalog of podcasts, including Royally Obsessed. All you have to do is say, Alexa, play Royally Obsessed on Amazon Music. Oh, no, mine is listening to me say that right at this moment. <laughs> a royal reminder, new episodes drop every Thursday. Tune in on Amazon Music. Now on to the show. Please rise for their majesties of Royally Obsessed, the podcast for all things royals. Stand by! Three cheers for Her Majesty the Queen! Hi, and welcome back to Royally Obsessed. I'm Lisa Ryan. And I'm Caitlin Menza. And it's time for your weekly update on the royal news you need to know. Please make sure to follow us on Instagram at Royally Obsessed Podcast. And you're also very welcome to join our Facebook group, Royally Obsessed. And please subscribe to the podcast and leave us the royal rating of a five-star review. It's very nice when you do that. Yeah, it helps us out. Yeah, it does, definitely. And you can send us an email at info at gallerypodcast.com. This week, we're so excited. We are doing something a little bit different, and I'll tell you about it in a sec. She's doing a jazzy shoulder move when she says that. (laughs) I know. I'm having a really big day. I'm wearing a blazer. I'm doing a jazzy shoulder move. It's it's a whole new Lisa. Yes, the blazer emphasizes the jazzy shoulders. (laughs) Um, So, of course, we're talking about the SmartWorks partnership, um, and the new pick of Archie. And then we have a little bit of info on Prince George and his playdates. I love it. But then we're joined by a super special guest. Um, his name is Eric Singer. He's a New York-based dialect coach for film and TV. He's going to help us be British. <laughs> <laughs> He's going to do his darndest to make us sound British. We'll, or, s- we'll see how it goes. Or at least teach us how British accents work, at the very <laughs> least. Um, so really excited about that. But first, we have a royal refreshment. And now it's time for the weekly royal cocktail. The fall is here. We're getting a little... Well, Lisa's getting just a touch sick. Yes. Maybe. Maybe. <laughs> Who knows? Because I went to the pharmacy today, and I was like, oh, I have all these symptoms. What should I take? Should I take some Tylenol? Should I take some Sudafed? And he's like, it sounds like you have a cold. I was like, What? Wow, he diagnosed you. Thanks, Walgreens guy. He said it was a Walgreens I guy. I knew it. <laughs> he said that there was a cold going around, so that's how that works. Pretty exciting time. So the point is, we're drinking um, hot tea with a little whiskey hit in it before I take my Nyquil. Well, that's just a smooth way to go to sleep. <laughs> <laughs> so let's feel better, Lisa. Please take care of yourself. We have a big week coming up next week. We're going to South Africa. Yes, emotionally. And, um, and we have a couple of listener emails. Um, so they're a little bit different as well. We're just doing a lot of different things today. Really shaking it up. So first, um, I want to shout out one letter that we're not going to read aloud because I don't like to put out information that I can't corroborate. But um, our listener, Jade, who lives in L.A. and is a longtime listener, sent us like a juicy little email. So I wanted to say, thanks, Jade. <laughs> You're only going to intrigue people so much by saying this. Ask Jade. Like, I know what's in the email, and I'm still like, ooh, what's in the email? It's really not, like, that juicy. Suffice it to say. It's nice. Good sleuthing, Jade. Yeah. Really appreciate it. The other letter we have is from Lauren, um, who pointed out um, that the actress Jenny Slate got engaged last week. And if you're wondering, what does that have to do with the British royals? Well... Lauren will tell you, um, she screenshotted the pic that Jenny Slate posted of her hand and her ring and herself looking very happy. And she pointed out, so Jenny Slate is engaged and her ring looks exactly like Duchess Kate's slash Princess Diana's ring. Do we have another royally obsessed follower in our midst? 
Indeed, we, I can't tell the color of the stone. Well, because this is a black and white printout, but also I do follow Jenny Slate on Instagram, and you can't really tell the color of the stone, but it is a darker colored gemstone that seems to be surrounded by a diamond halo. Yes, and now I hope that the tabloids listening are not taking this as fact because— No, I mean, I just, listen. I, I love Jenny Slate. I feel like if Jenny Slate and I were, you know, both wearing, like, yoga pants and a really comfy <laughs> sweater and we're, like, in a cabin and it's, like, all of our friends, but we kind of— go off on our own and we're sitting on a couch and we have a really great conversation and I tell her all of my secrets. Only just, then will you ask her. No, no, I just feel like that's what would happen because I love her. <laughs> she just She's such a genuine person and I just would love to talk to her about yeah. everything. That's the essence of Jenny Slate is that you're like, I'm sure we'd be friends. So I don't I don't know. I, it just, I think this is a popular design. It does look a little bit um, royalish, but it also looks just like a lot of rings that I've seen. So that's, I think that said, I love a gemstone engagement ring. Me too. I love any, I mean, I, you know, rock your diamonds, but I love like interesting, any sort of diamond, any sort of, sorry, engagement ring that breaks the mold I'm very into. Um, yeah. So congratulations to Jenny Slate and good eyes, Lauren. Maybe she is a Royals fan. Who Unclear. Knows? Or maybe she just likes classic jewelry. Yeah, I do. Um, okay. And now we Royal can, history. Royal history. Yes. And now this in royal history. So, oh my God, we're just continuing our trend of not doing what we normally do. So the Downton Abbey movie comes out on Friday and it's all about the king and queen coming to visit Downton Abbey. And so one thing that's kind of interesting is that back in 2015, Kate Middleton actually visited the set of Downton. And so Michelle Dockery, who is the star of the film, she's been talking a little bit about that visit because, of course, people are always intrigued by the royals and it's a movie kind of about the royals. So she um, was just on The Tonight Show with Jimmy Fallon and she recently said, um, I sort of felt like probably what it felt like for a court jester back in the day performing for the royals, she joked. Um, So we were quite nervous, but she was just, of course, so charming, gracious, and beautiful. And she was mesmerizing, and it was a special time for everyone. It would be mesmerizing. Yes, and there's um, photos of Kate on the set with everyone in their outfits. Like, Lady Mary is wearing her very 20s-looking clothes, and then there's um, all the people that work in the house wearing their uniforms. Look at Kate's long hair. Yeah, I believe she was pregnant at the time as well, but... Yeah, 2015 could have been... Charlotte. Yeah. 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 But very cute. I love always when celebrities get sort of overwhelmed by the royals because it's a whole other level of celebrity. Billy Eichner. Yes, exactly. Um, I'll also take this opportunity to shout out that um, the stars of Downton are on the cover of Town and Country uh, this month and were interviewed by none other than our frequent guest, our most frequent guest because she's been here twice, uh, Elizabeth Holmes. Three times. Three times. Three times. She guest hosted. Well, of course. Um, I don't like to think about that time because I wasn't here. <laughs> <You weren't> here. <laughs> it's one of the two episodes I've missed. Well, okay. So we have to go through everything really quickly because our interview with Eric is going to be very good, I hope. Or I mean, I can't say that because I sound conceited. <laughs> but he's, he's more fascinating than we are. So first, we have to talk about the SmartWorks collection because... We knew it was coming. Yes. And it was amazing. So the program, um, SmartWorks, obviously provides or helps women get ready for work. And it kind of provides um, clothes with to women that may not have an outfit to wear to job interviews. And it preps them. And Megan is a royal patron. And so she has this new line where she's collaborated with a bunch of brands. And it's a 
one-for-one deal. Yes, yes. It's a one-for-one. So when you buy an item for your own sort of work wardrobe, then another item goes to a woman in need. And Megan has said that when she first started working with the organization, she saw, you know, they existed on donations of clothes. And so sometimes that stuff wasn't the nicest or didn't, you know, help these women build a wardrobe to get started in their work lives. And so they she wanted to supplement it with more items. And so she spoke with a bunch of British brands and British designers to pull together these items. And so first of all, I just want to say, it was so great um, to see Megan back in action. We've, you know, she's popped up here and there. Um, the Yankees Red Sox game is like still my favorite event of the <laughs> summer. Um, but this was her first like official appearance after maternity leave. And she was wearing, you know, like the some of the clothes themselves, of course, the, the button down white shirt. And she just looks so great. And um, there was some coverage about how she spoke without notes. Like it was very relaxed and she just seemed so happy and so ready to be back and so energetic about this cause. Um, and what a, what a perfect event for her and what a great sort of partnership and move for her. I'm just really, I'm into this. I don't know. Yeah. And she spoke and it was just really great. And yeah, so she's back and then I haven't been on Facebook in a few days, but mm-hmm. Caitlin, you noticed something in yes. our Facebook group. <laughs> well, notice something. I couldn't help but notice it. I, you know, I've, I am so proud of all everybody, all of our listeners who have been buying the items. I mean, again, they're just nice items to have. They're really beautiful clothes, but um, they also are for a good cause. And so we've, in, you know, if you're not already in the Facebook get on in there because everyone has been buying the items and then sharing their pics of what they look like, which, by the way, I just always appreciate in general because mm-hmm. you're like, oh, that's how that would fall on someone who has my body type or that body type. Like, yes. it's just good to know, especially button-down shirts are really hard if you, like, have any sort of chest. So I like the shift dress a I lot. really like the shift dress, but, like, sometimes you don't know how that's going to, like, skim over your body. So, like, that's good to know. Everyone looks so great. Um, we're happy you guys – well, A, look great, and B, are supporting a really good cause. So good for all of you guys. Yes. Um, though, of course, you can't buy the bag because the bag sold out right away. Of course. Amazing. Before the before the event even happened, the morning of the launch, the bag was already sold out. I think because it's a really solid bag and a pretty good investment um, in general, how could you not want a leather tote? So of course. Um, it was really cool. So another quick Sussex update is that it was Harry's birthday. We talked about it, but What's notable is that um, on the Sus- sorry the Sussex Royal account they posted um, of course one of their like, yeah, like happy birthday messages and yes. there's a sweet little note from Megan but there was a new picture that we haven't seen before of Archie so I'm mad at myself because I didn't notice it right away like where am I hello I mean first of all it was a Sunday morning and very early um, but we had on the pod last week we had wondered if maybe we would get a post on his birthday and we did and yes part of the collage of photos like down hidden in the little right corner is a new picture of Archie um, also from the christening so I think that's why I sort of skimmed over it I was just like oh cute like Harry baby pictures but there in the corner is him at the christening well the whole family at the christening and he's kneeling down in front of Archie and you see Archie's little eyes are open and it's really such a sweet and intimate photo. He's sort of like holding Megan's thigh in a very tender way, the kind of thing that I just don't think like you would see very often from them. I just I love that picture. I'm so glad they did it. And Megan's note, you are the best husband and the most amazing dad to our son. We love you. We love you. That's so sweet. And another thing that's sweet, I love to transition, um, <laughs> Prince George has reportedly been having playdates at Kensington Palace, which is nice. I love reminders that they're just regular people. He's super. He's a little boy. Yeah. And what do little boys do? They, among other things, have playdates. And yeah. so um, 
We're looking at a Vanity Fair report that's citing um, a tabloid that states, um, or an insider told a tabloid, it is wonderful for them and their parents to go to such a beautiful and historic palace and have the run of the place, but it does involve a bit more planning than a normal play date, as everyone uh, visiting the palace has to be security vetted. (laughs) That makes sense. (laughs) So it makes things a little more complicated, but I just imagine them having a very good time. Yes, I just, it's very, very sweet. Um, Also super random, but I just had to mention this Vanity Fair article mentions that um, Thomas's Battersea, which is where Charlotte and George are going to school, um, opened in the 90s, and that two of their other alums are Florence Welch from Florence and the Machine and Cara Delevingne. That's just cool. Wow. I just love that. Other well, kinds of royalty. Wow, wow. <laughs> and now we are so excited to be joined by Eric Singer, who is a New York City-based dialect coach for film and TV, and who is here to kindly answer all of our questions about British accents. <laughs> Leave no question unanswered. That's my motto. We are so happy to have you here because we are regularly dragged for mispronouncing things. Mostly me. I'm not going to lie, Caitlin. It's mostly me. Well, we can't have you there every moment when we are faced with a town name, when they make an appearance at a town and we're like, oh, wait. English town names. Yeah, it's not until then that we realize we don't know it because otherwise we don't really attempt to do accents on this show. Nobody Mm -hmm. needs that from us. (laughs) Um, But we are, of course, very interested in them. So first I wanted to ask you how you got your start with this kind of work and how you figured out that this is the kind of work you could excel at. Ooh, um, well, I was an actor, um, trained as an actor. I mean, I still am an actor, but, you know, mostly working as a dialect coach. Um, so, gosh, I mean, I, I actually trained in London. I went to drama school in, in England at the Weber Douglas Academy of Dramatic Art. Fancy. <laughs> um, and very much actually wanted to, uh, to stay and work as an actor in London because I, I wanted to do classical stuff, and I, and I kind of felt like there was, there was so much more of it. Um, and the audiences were so much sort of, you know, bigger audiences for classical stuff and for Shakespeare in the States tend to be um, on the older side and very, very white. And um, those are kind of problems everywhere, but, you know, a little, little bit more current, a little bit more there. And the actors who do theater there tend to be um, also do film and TV rather than just be this sort of little segment off to the side. And in order to be able to stay and work uh, as an actor and do that kind of theater, I was going to have to be able to pass. Right. Um, <laughs> and so for the two years that I was in drama school, uh, you know, I was like, all right, I got to be able to not just, you know, do this convincingly in a show, but be able to go in and take a meeting with an agent or a casting director or a director um, and, and not tell them and deceive them. Um, and I, I remember kind of partway through the the speech teacher who was this wonderful woman named Carol Ziegler um, told me that I sounded like a Dane who spoke <laughs> absolutely perfect, perfect English, but just ever so slightly too perfect, oh, like, like a, a little bit hyper real Fascinating. Um, and that I had to loosen it up. So, wow. so um, are you good at doing accents yourself? Yes. Yes. But I'm so glad you asked that question because... I get asked to do them all the time, and I'm I'm sometimes a little reluctant because um, the fact is there are people who are brilliant at doing accents that cannot coach them, mm-hmm. and there are people that are actually really good coaches who aren't necessarily the best at doing accents themselves. So they they really are not the same skill set, um, and I, I guess I kind of want people to know how it all works a little bit better because it's kind of obscure, um, mm-hmm. and I think there are a lot of sort of myths and mistaken ideas, even within my industry, even within the film industry. Um, And so I kind of like not to 
sort of give support to that idea that those are the same skill sets. Oh. Um, but yes, it was in fact my my way in. I, as a working actor, um, I I got cast in lots of roles that required accents. I did a lot of audiobooks. I've done about sixty audiobooks. Wow. Um, Your where voice you get to is play all the pleasant. parts. Oh, thank you. I like listening to it. I'm like, oh, it's soothing. I was yes. a little tired today. I've been talking all day, but thank you. Sounds like what an accent coach would do. Yes. So Talk we, all day? Yeah. Yes. Hopefully I do some listening too. What did you have to study to get to where you are? Uh, you know, post um, going into training and teaching and I taught in uh, in MFA programs at drama school training actors for a while before I was doing a lot of film and TV coaching um, so starting to do that transition a lot of I mean linguistics basically okay. um, and specifically the subfield of linguistics which is phonetics um, and even the subfield of that which is articulatory phonetics which is the actual mechanics of what the muscles are and what they do um, and what the what the system of the sound systems of languages are. That's so interesting. I love that so much. Yes. And so we want to ask you about British accents. Can you tell us about the different types of British accents and how you can distinguish them? Sure. Oh my gosh. But how long do we have? <laughs> um, Brief synopsis. <laughs> well, so I mean, um, so if we're talking about Britain, obviously mm-hmm. we we are also talking about Scotland mm-hmm. and Wales right. and. Um, you know, maybe Northern Ireland as well, uh, as opposed to England, right, which doesn't include those areas. But um, either way, whether we do or include, do or do not include all of Britain, uh, we're talking about a lot of accents and a lot of accents that are much, much more uh, distinct uh, from each other than what North Americans are used to. Um, and that has to do with history. It has to do with time. Um, because accent populations diverge over time and we simply haven't had enough time um, to get as much distinction, as much diversity. And that goes for dialect as well as accent. And dialect is uh, more than just the sounds themselves, right? It's the words that you use. It's even grammar and syntax, what, what order you put words in and things like that. Um, so there's a huge amount of variety. Uh, it, you know, accents vary regionally. They also vary by class. Um, which is certainly, you know, I think something we're all aware of with yes. English accents and probably on this podcast yes. especially, and I'm <laughs> yes. sure we'll talk about it. Um, uh, you know, one huge divider in English accents, just talking about England now, is there's a line that you can draw uh, kind of across the middle. I mean, it wiggles a little bit. Um, it's got to wiggle south to keep Birmingham in the north. Mm-hmm. Um, and there's something called the strut-foot merger. Amazing. <laughs> um, and strut and foot are code words or keywords for the whole group of words that use the same vowel sound. So if we're talking about my accent, uh, strut is all the words that use uh, right? Okay. So up and under and some and love and mother and butter. Sometimes they're spelled with an O, sometimes with a U, but they're all that sound, right? So that group of words. Foot in my accent is all the words that use the uh sound. So it's wood and could and took and butcher and look and woman. And again, they're spelled different ways, right? Um, So if you're south of that line, south of that strut foot merger line, you have, if it's RP, it's strut and foot, uh, uh. If you're north of that line, they're merged. So they're both the same sound. So it's strut and foot. Mm. Um, So if you were to take a phrase, we actually just did this in in a video I shot for Wired. Um, like, uh, did you cut your foot? If you're an RP speaker, yeah, it's did you cut your foot. 
Wow. And if you're from the north, right, I don't know what this is. This is Yorkshire or something. It's, did you cut your foot? Cut, oh, my gosh. Right, so they're merged. So that would be one little, like, okay. we could call it a shibboleth. Yeah. Um, one way you can distinguish, like, one group of people from another group of people. That's so interesting. I have to say that I personally can only distinguish English, we'll say, accents by the celebrity that I'm associated with from childhood. <laughs> so there's, like, the Liverpool is the Beatles, maybe. Absolutely. And then the Spice Girls were mostly from Manchester and Birmingham, I want to say. Were they? I I'm think sure. so. And mm. then you have the Ozzy Osbourne accent because I was watching Meet the Osbournes. Is he a Jordy? Well, he's from Manchester, I think. He's from no, his, Birmingham. Birmingham. I will say his accent right is not well, he's very a bit muddled. <laughs> he's a very muddled. But that was sort of my when I say, "Oh, what's Manchester sound like?" I'm like, "Oh, it's scary spice" or something like that. Like that's how I have to how <laughs> I have enough. to remember what yeah. that is. You're still doing um, the pattern recognition though. That a we, little bit you know, that we all can do. Yes, as our birthright as human beings who are small group primates <laughs> who is make the, these thin slicing little judgments about each other based yes. on the way we speak. I mean, oh my gosh. You, well, yes. We were talking earlier before we started recording about everyone accusing us of vocal fry and <laughs> yeah. upspeak. Wow. Yes. Upspeak, uptalk. I, don't I hate that. And yeah. by that, I don't mean vocal fry and upspeak. <laughs> I mean people who have a problem with that, especially when they pick on young women, which seems to be that's usually the how thing it goes. they do. Yes, and that's guys, true. everybody does it. Um, young people, like young men, uh, don't do don't vocal fry any less and don't use upspeak any less than young women. And... Plenty of older folks do as well. So stop picking on the ladies, y'all. <laughs> Thank you for being an ally. <laughs> I appreciate that. Well, it's, an, it's an interesting point, and this is this is a, maybe a little off your your subject, but we make judgments about people based on the way they speak, and we always have reasons. We always have defenses for because because it doesn't sound authoritative, right. because it sounds like you're not sure of yourself, because it sounds like you don't care about what you're talking about. But the thing is, somebody else, some other group of people doesn't have the same judgments about that sound. Um, right. In fact, you there's a, um, a linguist uh, called Penelope Eckert, I think, at Stanford, who plays recordings of like young female NPR reporters with mm -hmm. vocal fry and upspeak to her students who are that cohort, who are that age. And then she goes, how did that sound? Like, what, it, you know, what do you associate? What, what, quali what qualities do you associate with that person's voice? And they say things like authoritative, confident, intelligent, mm -hmm. informed. Right, so hmm. it depends on the listener, right. and it's all well, subjective. Well, well, right. Wow. Well, speaking of authorita authoritative accents, yes. we really want to ask you about Queen Elizabeth because we think she has a really distinctive accent, and then it's really interesting to hear actresses like Claire Foy and then soon-to-be Olivia Colman portray her accent on screen because we know it's so different from their regular speaking voice, even though they have British accents. Yeah, so how is hers different, and how is the royal accent different, and is it different from other upper crust English people? So ultimately, every accent is individual. Right. Mm -hmm. Right. Um, in a sense, there's no such thing as like an accent if we mean like the way a group of people speaks, because every person ultimately is going to vary a little bit individually. Obviously, though, you know, we can group, group them together by similar features and stuff. Um, I haven't listened to. Uh, Queen Elizabeth, as she spoke, post-1950s uh, in a long time. Um, I, I don't even have like her, her voice in 2019 mm -hmm. in my ear that I can call up in my mind's ear. I have listened to her a fair amount from the 1950s, which is when Claire Foy is mostly portraying yes. her, mm -hmm. um, and more recently. 
Um, her accent has changed over time. I know. I know from listening before, and because it's it's much talked about, right? Um, which I think is a fascinating study because we have recordings of her from all of that period of time, and accents change. You know, language changes, and accents change over time, um, even within an individual. And I think that can be fascinating too. Um, you know, I think how does it differ from um, upper, uh, from other sort of very upper class English accents? I think not much. I think we could probably find um, other speakers of her generation uh, and of her class and upbringing um, who would have a very, very similar accent uh, at every decade along the way there. Okay. And so if you were coaching, say, me when I inevitably play <laughs> Queen Elizabeth one day. Of course. I, don't I know totally where, see that. Just like in my bedroom mirror. I um, can see her wearing that blue dress. <laughs> <laughs> so how would you um, instruct me and coach me to adopt that accent? Like what would you tell me? So one of the, the best ways to start, I think, and especially if we only have five minutes, <laughs> um, is to talk about oral posture. Um, which is not so Sitting much the, no, uh, and no, that's, just, and that's great, right? But I think we don't necessarily have to do that for like to do a, uh, a an RP. We're talking about an RP accent, which is received pronunciation. Um, you know, there's this idea. I think very often Americans or American actors will kind of sit, you know, straighten up and sit right and. You ought to be able to do that accent while lounging if you're going to play Algernon in The Importance of Being Earnest or whatever. Mm. But oral posture very much is, it's, it's what the jaw is doing, what the lips are doing, what the tongue is doing, and where they return to at rest, uh, what shape and position they're in when you breathe in or when you're listening, um, and the ways they, they like to move, the patterns they like to move. And again, every accent, every language has a different oral posture. Um, so, uh, you know, if you, if you think of a French person speaking and you see what their mouth is doing, uh, you know, the cheeks tend to come in a little bit, the lip corners are going to come forward. Um, I feel like your chin is jutting out a little bit. And there may be a little bit of jaw protrusion, actually. Um, uh, if you, if you think about sort of 1950s, sort of stereo, this is more RAF colonel than queen. (laughs) Yes, but it tends to be a very high jaw. Uh, and some spreading in the lip corners. Um, so it's like if you were going to uh, describe the space inside your mouth, the sort of negative space inside your mouth, it's like a dinner plate. Um, oh. right? So it's very flat and quite wide. So if you do think about having quite a high jaw and not very mobile lips, and you might even pull the lip corners back a bit towards your ears, and... We can apply this, you see, because oral posture is going to be the foundation for what the sounds are. Hmm. So if you think about something like the trap vowel, which is the vowel sound in words like had and hat, uh, back, um, it's going to be a bit higher. It's going to be head and back and trap, which is of a piece, you see, with that sort of higher jaw oral posture. So try that. Can you say black? Black. Okay. Can you say it with an eh? Almost as though if we could respell it in your own accent, it would be how you might say it if the word was B-L-E-C-K. Black. Yes, even tighter, black. Black. That was great. <laughs> oh, my yes. God, I'm British. And now, now let's respell in the same way the word cat. Kit. 
Is that so a cat? It's, so instead of a cat with a very open, oh. you know, my jaw goes really open, ah, and my tongue cups a little bit. But everything's a bit higher, yes, a little bit less space in the mouth, and this vowel sound definitely goes along with that oral posture. So we're going to say <laughs> ket. Ket. That's very Kit. good, Caitlin. That was Caitlin. Now. <laughs> yes. So we can all talk about black cats. Yeah, your tongue is like barely moving from the roof of your mouth almost. Like We're, it's, well, it's going to be doing a lot of work on the inside, but okay. with less space to operate. I mean, it, it's so funny that you say that because, I mean, I've probably watched more of Claire Foy being the queen than the queen speaking because mm-hmm. so rarely do you actually hear her voice on camera. Um, and her mouth only opens a little tiny bit. And I think I always assumed that was more of an actor choice because she's so... The, the way she plays the role and the way the queen has to be is she's so withholding. That's the whole point, right? She doesn't get to speak her mind. Oh, so she just like, you know, just spits out tiny little words that are so cutting or so meaningful because that's all she can say. I love that you have that association. Um, <laughs> but and... maybe it was just her doing the accent. Or no. Well, first of all, can I just say, Claire had a, a really, really great coach um, okay. for, for the crown, a, a coach named William Corrigan, um, who I think is, is you know, top, top, top notch. Um I love that that told that story that way to you mm-hmm. because I was just saying how, you know, our associations, our judgments about people, like, you know, the sounds of an accent are arbitrary. Language change, language, fe- language features, they're essentially arbitrary. And we, we get into really dangerous territory when we start to ascribe meaning in the sense that like, oh, these people sound this way because they are this way, right? right? And there's a huge history of that and it's filled with racism and power structures and elitism and all kinds of terrible things. But when we're, when we're making art, um, actors or you know, what I do in the support role of supporting that performance, it's an aspect of the storytelling. Um, and yeah. so if the actor from the inside can make a connection between something like this very sort of high oral posture and something that feels right about the character and it helps them get there, that I think is entirely appropriate. And if that then communicates itself to you as part of the storytelling, I think that's awesome. So when you're first working with an actor, can you tell right off the bat if they're going to be good or bad? I know that that just shows how much work you have to do maybe, but what makes someone good or bad at accents? And how much is anxiety? Because, for example, we are very nervous to do the accent. And I imagine some people are like uptight. About well, it, you're, I mean, this is a high wire act. You're doing it for an audience. <laughs> That's true. You know, you don't yeah. have, We're being recorded. I mean, you know, you should have like six months to prepare for right. a movie. If you're doing an accent, like take <laughs> right. some time. The people who win the shiny golden statues, they work yeah. really hard at it. Yeah. Yeah. Um, they don't always necessarily want you to know that. Right. And we're certainly not going to name names because some people, some people are very public about it. Um, and have even, I forget who it was, I think Julianne Moore thanked her dialect coach when she won an award. Which is nice. Um, well, which she's is great. a great person. Right? <laughs> Julianne Moore is just a wonderful person. <laughs> yeah, she's she's very kind. I've never met her, but I just feel like I know her. She's amazing. Anyways, sorry, go on. <laughs> I, you know, I think, um, I think it's, it's hard here to make, um, to make generalizations because it depends on the accent. It depends on that person's familiarity with and affinity with that accent. I think some accents are harder. Some accents are harder for me. Some accents are easier for me. Um, accent is identity at a, at a really, really deep level. And so it doesn't mean you have to like think that you are that person, but you have to be able to imagine yourself as that person. And sometimes there are reasons why that's easier and sometimes there are reasons why that's harder or you know feels almost impossible. Um, so that has a lot to do with it. 
you know, often when people come to me and they're already in pretty good shape, whether it's an accent or an idiolect, one they're playing a real person and it's one individual person's way of speaking, um, they've already been working on it a lot. Mm-hmm. Yeah. But I wonder if that'd be harder. Like, I'm just thinking if I came to you because I was playing mm, JFK or something. Caitlin, <laughs> <laughs> I'm ready for that. Please do it. I have it. like Cannot 50 wait. years of JFK impersonations or yeah. portrayals in my head or or like a Trump accent. You know, like you have ideas of what that's supposed to sound like. Oh, yeah. And so you're like playing other people's versions of that person or I something. That gets so hard when it's been yeah. – when it's a voice that is so famous and mm-hmm. so done that your own ideas about it is is getting filtered through all of those other versions. It's like a funhouse yeah. mirror or it's like making a Xerox of a Xerox of a Xerox of a Xerox. Yeah. Um, and only the very darkest colors, you know, are going to come through. Oh, I love that. That's a really beautiful way um, of putting it. Um, to take it back to a Royal's perspective and from what you were saying about being influenced um, – you know, there was a, an instance a couple, maybe last year, where Meghan Markle was filmed uh, saying hello to people on a receiving line. And somebody was recording her and she sounded like she was doing a British accent. And so mm-hmm. people sort of, you know, the press were were cruel to her because they're like, what, who is she trying to be yeah. now? Like she's doing a British accent. And we were kind of like, well, if you only hang out with British people all day, every day, and you have a British husband and this is your new country, like yeah. I feel like you yes. just sort of adopt that. How does that happen? So uh, there's a word for it. Um, it's called accommodation. Um, oh. It's a linguistic term called accommodation, um, which is the the way that we move towards somebody else's speech patterns um, as a kind of mirroring, but it's really it's based on affinity. Um, and people are usually familiar with the fact that we do this with body language. Um, like I think most people have heard of that or even just observed it in themselves that like when you're talking to somebody, if you like them and you're connecting and you want them to like you, even if all of that is at a totally unconscious level, you, you'll start to kind of mirror you know, the way they're crossing their legs, the way they're crossing their arms, the angle at which they're sitting to, you know, towards you or away from you or leaning towards you or leaning away from you. Um, we do the same thing with speech. Uh, you know, we begin to, and this is this has like been like actually measured. You know, taking like acoustic measurements of people's vowel sounds when they're in conversation with each other. So even when it's totally you know undetectable, or you'd have to be listening really closely, you know, a third party listening really really closely and kind of pointing it out and taking notes. But but with actual acoustic measurements, um, this has been demonstrated kind of over and over and over and over again. It happens more if you like the person. It happens more if you want them to like you and less, you know, if those things aren't the case. But it's a completely natural human thing. Sometimes in some people, in some circumstances, it's going to be more noticeable for sure mm-hmm. um, and sometimes less. But uh, if that was happening and I actually haven't listened to those, I'm aware of mm-hmm. the thing, but I, you know, listen to those clips of her, um, it, you know, it may have been happening for entirely those reasons. I mean, exactly the things you said. I mean, you know, you can imagine being in, not even just necessarily hanging out with people, but you're, uh, you have a certain um, place and expectations, I guess, right? Um, And those things, even on a totally unconscious level, um, start to inform the way you think about yourself. Yeah. Well, I used to, this is going to be personal, I briefly dated a Scottish person, and then I suddenly started adopting the word we. And so instead of <laughs> little, I'd be like, oh, just a wee bit. And it's just like, I didn't even think about it. I didn't yeah. try to be like, emulate this Scottish guy. But I still say we. It's a useful word. It's really cute. It's a cute word. I'm like, oh, 
I'm a wee bit tired. Yeah, I really like that a lot. And there's been criticism <laughs> of, uh, of not criticism, but people have noted that Kate Middleton's accent has maybe changed as well. But we don't agree. We were talking about this before. I don't even really agree with that. I think she was 18 and 19 when she first got famous, and now she's you know, in her late 30s. and It's going to change one way or another. Yeah, and now I think she's a bit more confident. And so when she gives speeches, I think she sounds a little crisper. Mm-hmm. And I, I don't think that's an accent change. I think she just is more confident speaking in front of hundreds or thousands of people, you know? Mm-hmm. Like, I don't, I think Delivery maybe that would... music, yeah. Sorry. Yeah, mm-hmm. that would make you a little crisper. Um, yeah. I feel like we could oh, definitely... Oh, I have a oh, no, please, please. Um, so for our last question, I would love to know... If you have any tips for us as we continue to navigate attempting to pronounce British words, but especially British towns, and I know that I am so bad at it and people get very <laughs> mad at me, and occasionally we um, we find out that we pronounce a name wrong. Like we used to say Eugenie, but it's Eugenie. So what tips do you have for us to I, navigate this? <laughs> I really think there's, on, there's only one thing, which is you just have to look it up. Yeah. <laughs> do our research. <laughs> I mean, you can't, you can't know. It's, yeah. it's English, it's, it's English language spelling, which is, which is useless. It's, yeah. it, you can't look at a word that you don't know or haven't seen before and, and know for sure how it's pronounced, which bedevils kids learning to read and people learning English as a second language and even, I guess, podcast hosts, if you're pronouncing <laughs> British place names, you can't know. You have to look it up. I mean, the one we were joking about before was Gloucestershire, which I think <laughs> that's still not it. It's still not it. Uh, I think part of the difficulty is I do think even English people would pronounce it differently depending on where they're from. It's like they rush through those sel- those syllables a little more quickly, right? So I'm only aware of one pronunciation of that, which is Gloucestershire. Gloucestershire. Oh, I didn't um, even know that. I thought it was Gloucestershire. I, I thought, but at first sh- I yeah. thought it was like Gloucestershire. <laughs> that's wonderful. <laughs> um, no, I think I think actually Gloucestershire would be would be much more it. Yeah, and of course most uh, English accents, not necessarily British accents, but most English accents are going to not have the R. Um, so Gloucestershire. Um, Gloucestershire. But if you've got a slightly different accent, then the sounds are going to come out a little differently. But in terms of like what the what category each vowel sound is in um, and where you stress the word and things like that, I, I, I'm not aware of other pronunciations, but there may be. Okay. So That's I guess the know. only solution is every time we have a town to pronounce, we just call you up and you pronounce we'll it for us. I am on call <laughs> at all times. Uh, my number is. Um, <laughs> well, no. people can and can follow you. So where can people find you on social media? Uh, I tweet occasionally um, uh, at Accent Voice Guy. Amazing. Great um, branding. <laughs> I, have, uh, I have an Instagram that I occasionally post on. Um, my website is just ericsinger.com. My name is spelled with a K, so it's E-R-I-K, singer.com. Uh, and there are a bunch of these Wired videos out on YouTube talking about movie accents. Um, one just came out on Monday and got to like 2 million views in two days. So it did really well. Wow. And, and is there any place that any film projects or TV projects coming up that you can tell us? Terminator is coming out Amazing. on, I think, November 1st. Amazing. Uh, <laughs> with Linda Hamilton and Mackenzie. Linda Hamilton is back playing Sarah Connor. That's and awesome. Mackenzie Davis and Natalia Reyes and Arnold is in it. Um, and it's really exciting. Um, and we had we had lots and lots of uh, Spanish actors playing Mexican characters was one of the things that I was oh, doing. Interesting. And oh. so really, really wanting to get that right for uh, you know for the sake of Mexicans and Spanish speaking audiences and like and like actually you know having that paying that respect 
mm-hmm. to get that right is something that, that I think Hollywood hasn't always done, and we're doing that more. So I'm, I'm really excited about that. That blows my mind because I thought, I, I guess, stupidly assumed your work would, of course, be with American actors doing other accents, but to help Spanish actors imitate a Mexican accent is... In wow. Spanish and in English. In, wow. <laughs> um, yeah, but Brits are strange. It's almost strange. like I mean, you're good at your everybody. job. Yeah. It's, it's, <laughs> <laughs> I'm very happy to hear that, and that sounds amazing, and you might actually convince me to see Terminator because I'm not a... An action movie um, gal. Three female leads. You got me. Kicking That's ass. it. That's all we need. <laughs> you got me. Um, Eric, thank you so much for being here. Oh, really it's so fun. It. It's really my pleasure, guys. Thanks. Wow. That was amazing. <laughs> Could have done 20 more minutes with him. <laughs> 20 minutes, two hours, whatever. <laughs> so before we adjourn the Royal Pod, we have some highs and lows. It's time for the Royal Highs and Lows. Caitlin, tell me your low. Um, my low, it's a complicated one. I don't really know how to feel about it, but um, TMZ ran some photos of Meghan and Harry at a pub watching sports with Archie. Um, obviously, I'm always delighted by seeing Harry holding a baby carrier. I mean, I say always, it's the first time we've ever gotten that. Um, but Harry holding a baby carrier is always going to squish my heart. Um, but once you actually look at the photos, they're so fuzzy and they're from so far away that you just absolutely know that whoever took them was another patron of the bar who was like holding up their phone. And it just like made me sad that they have to put up with that all the time. I mean, of course they do. Um, but it was at a pub that was in Windsor right near their house. And I don't know. I'm, I'm happy they went out. I'm not happy that the pictures were taken. It's weird. Mm-hmm. You know? Yeah. Whatever. So my low is a high low. So first of all, my high is that the Sussex Royal Tour of Afri- of different countries in Africa is happening next week. Oh my God, I'm so excited. We're so excited. <laughs> but then my low is we are not going. We are not the royal reporters on the ground. On some level, like I thought I would manifest it. In my heart of hearts, Lisa. I, I really thought like I would be on a plane to South Africa right now. I know. A very long plane. So um, it's a deep low. It's a deep, deep low. That's absolutely fair. I am so thrilled for all the things that we'll know by this time next week. I will have so much more knowledge of Archie Harrison, Mountbatten, Windsor by this time next week. Oh my Ooh, gosh. I'm thrilled. Can't wait. Um, my high is an article in the New York Times by one of my absolute favorite writers living on this earth, Katie Weaver. Um, she interviewed Misha Nunu, which is how they do There's like a whole paragraph about how to pronounce her last name. It's Nunu, Mm -hmm. um, who is, of course, a British designer and one of Meghan's closest friends and someone who was involved with SmartWorks. And so the article came out on the day that the SmartWorks launch happened. Um, You would think that she wouldn't be able to say much about Meghan, but she does. She speaks a fair amount about Meghan and what it's like to work with her and how they became friends and what they bonded over. And Katie kind of pushes her a little bit because she says, yeah, we met at a luncheon and we bonded over women's equality. And Katie's like, really? (laughs) <laughs> That's what you talk about at a luncheon, equality. And she's like, okay, well, we got there eventually. <laughs> um, so I just sort of, she's like, we talk about our dogs also. So I, I appreciate that sort of that realness. Um, and it's just a really fun profile of a very interesting woman who I'm glad Megan has in her corner. So yes. that's a high. Is really good. Um, so you guys, of course, can email us at info at gallerypodcast.com. Please subscribe to the podcast and leave us a five-star review on Apple Podcasts. Here's a real review from Dolphin914. Doll Finn is actually, the, it's like a doll's fin. Um, I'm newer, I'm a newer fan to the royal family and recently traveled to London this summer. So naturally I looked for a podcast to get me ready before my trip. Yikes. Uh, <laughs> <laughs> I found Royally Obsessed and from the first episode I listened to, I loved it. Each week I get a fun but informative update on everything royal and even cocktail ideas from the weekly royal refreshment. Thank you ladies for all that you do. This is the perfect podcast for my commute every morning so that I arrive at work with a smile on my face. Ooh, making work more pleasant, making mornings more pleasant. 
content is the greatest hope I could ever have for this show. I know. Thank you. Thank you for listening. <laughs> um, you can follow the show on Instagram at Royally Obsessed Podcast. Join our Facebook group, Royally Obsessed. You can follow me, Lisa, at Lisa Raya on various social media places. <laughs> <laughs> and you can follow me, Caitlin, at HeyKMenz, H-E-Y-K-M-E-N-Z, on Twitter and Instagram, and read my writing at CaitlinMenza.com. And until next week. And what a week it's going to be. <laughs> God save the pot. <laughs> I tried. I'm not going to ever crack this accent. Good, good save the pot. What are even, oh, I don't Blink. even know what that was. <laughs> Her Majesties of Royally Obsessed have retired for this episode. God save the pod. And if you fancy the podcast, give Royally Obsessed the royal rating of five stars on Apple Podcasts. Follow us on Instagram at Royally Obsessed Podcast and join our Facebook group, Royally Obsessed. Royally Obsessed is a gallery podcast production.